today's Old Testament reading, taken from Psalm chapter 86, verses 1 to 10 and 16 to 17. You can find uh, Psalm 86 on page number 554 of your Pew Bibles. Incline your ear, O Lord, and answer me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am devoted to you. Save your servant who trusts in you. You are my God. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for to you I cry all day long. Gladden the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, O Lord, are good and forgiving, abounding in steadfast love to all who call on you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer. Listen to my cry of supplication. In the day of my trouble, I call on you, for you will answer me. There is none like you among the gods, O Lord nor there are any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and bow down before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Turn to me and be gracious to me. Give your strength to your servant. Save the child of your serving girl. Show me a sign of your favor, so that those who hate me may see it and be put to shame, because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. This is the word of the Lord. Matthew chapter 10 contains some miscellaneous sayings of Jesus, or what appear to be miscellaneous sayings. It looks for all the world like a random collection. But taken as a whole, these uh, statements uh, by Jesus are about what life is going to be like for believers. And what Jesus seems to be saying is that the life of faith is not going to be easy. In fact, it's going to be a challenge. Faithful living is going to require strength and perseverance and uh, persistence. And just because you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior doesn't mean that suddenly uh, everything in your life is going to be so much better. So let's read these verses together. Uh, Matthew chapter 10, beginning with verse 34. This is Jesus speaking. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And one's foes will be members of one's own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up the cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Those who find their life will lose it. 
and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear friends of Jesus Christ, last week, as I mentioned, and as a few of you knew before I mentioned it, I was in the U.S. participating in a worship conference. I've been a member of the board that presents this conference and several other things for the last 16 years. And when you give 16 years of your life to something, uh, it's an indication that you believe strongly in it, and I do. It's been one of the uh, rare privileges of my life to do this work. Among other things, the Worship Institute gives away large sums of money, hundreds of thousands of U.S. dollars uh, every year to churches primarily, other institutions too, but uh, churches primarily uh, that want to renew their worship lives and to make them as vital as they can possibly be. So uh, if you need a few thousand dollars to purchase electronic equipment, uh, microphones and amplifiers and so on, uh, it's best not to ask us. But if you want to introduce the Psalms to your congregation as a way to give your people the language to express grief and loss and disappointment in life and so forth, then we want to talk further with you. That's one example. Big ideas, not uh, equipment and hymn books. Uh, often, uh, before I attend one of these uh, events, happened again this year, uh, I find that my morale is uh, dragging. You know, I, I sometimes feel despair and hopelessness about the church. I think, you oh, know, the church is dying all over the world. What am, I, what am I devoting my life to this work for? And then, oh, and, and like the uh, prophet Elijah, I find myself saying, I, only I am left. Uh, And then when I attend, uh, as I did this past week, I discover that the church has never been more alive. I meet uh, women and men from all over the world who are working with passion and energy and creativity and imagination to make the worship life in their church as as rich and as life-changing as it can possibly be. Speaking of worship, you can't have a, a worship conference without having amazing worship. And worship at these conferences is always, uh, without a doubt, the best I have ever experienced. Uh, I should tell you that that grant uh, recipients uh, uh, who attend the conference, and they have to attend, otherwise they don't get their money. Uh, The the grant recipients include every imaginable worship tradition. So there are Catholics over on the liturgical side of things. Uh, There are also, uh, well, as a matter of fact, two of my colleagues on the board are, are Catholic liturgical scholars, but there are also Baptists and Presbyterians and, and, and Mennonites over on uh, the far, uh, the other uh, end of the spectrum. And then this year, for the first time, this was unusual, uh, there was an Orthodox priest who was receiving a, a worship grant for his church. A very cool cassock and a very cool beard. I, I uh, by the way, it was at this conference a few years ago that I first met Jeff Powell. Uh, who was the interim pastor here before uh, I arrived to be your pastor. Jeff's church in the U.S. had applied for a grant that year, and he was at the conference to pick up his grant money. And I had no idea, obviously, at the time, that uh, our paths would uh, cross uh, again uh, in Zurich, Switzerland, of all places. The worship at these conferences is amazing, as I said, and uh, I come away each year determined, uh, more determined than you can imagine, to aim for excellence and 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 creativity and all the other elements that I experience uh, and observe. Uh, Here's an interesting observation. Uh, I can't tell you what kind of worship this was. Uh, 
Uh, I come away each year and I think, well, was that traditional? Uh, The answer is no, although there was an organ and there was a choir we put together for the occasion from uh, conference participants and uh, and the music had actual notes. Uh, So, uh, was it contemporary? Well, no, it wasn't contemporary either, although there were a couple of guitars and there was a drum set and and there were screens where, where the music was projected. Right? And, and even a few singers up front who were holding microphones as they led us in, in, in singing the music for the conference. So, uh, was it traditional or was it contemporary? I, I don't know. I can't say for sure. Uh, the word blended doesn't begin to do it justice. The, the truth is that our worship was in a third category altogether. Uh, that transcends, uh, I think, our usual categories. Uh, you know, we have some fierce defenders of traditional worship in this church. And we have some equally fierce defenders of contemporary worship. Uh, and what I have tried to say to you is that those aren't the only two categories to choose from. Right? Next year, maybe I can convince one or two of you to uh, come with me and find out for yourselves what I mean. In the meantime, uh, I want you to know that the church is alive. And that the church is uh, finding and, and developing new leadership, and, and so the church is not standing still and, and feeling sorry for itself. Uh, instead, the church continues to test the boundaries and to try out uh, new ideas. The director of the institute, uh, whom I admire a great deal, and who seems to have more ideas before breakfast than most people do all year long, uh, said to us that he's never met a box that he didn't try to think outside of. And trust me, that's an unusual statement to come from a liturgical scholar. We need more like him. I was one of the speakers at the conference this year, and I'm pretty sure that's because my book about the multicultural church was published about two weeks ago. There were two other speakers. One was a woman from Argentina who had just finished her PhD in theology, and she described herself as the product of the Presbyterian missionary movement to South America. Uh, the other speaker was a Native American who had grown up on a reservation in south, the sw- southwestern part of the United States. Uh, and he too was the product of Christian mission, but his story, I have to say, was a, a sad one because the missionaries made uh, Native Americans choose, he said, uh, between their tribal culture and Christianity. Uh, and he has made it his life's work to speak with young people about embracing their identity as Native Americans, right? uh, which can be thought of as a gift from God, just as you and I embrace the various cultures uh, that we represent here uh, in this church. It's possible, he said, to be proud Indians and followers of Jesus Christ. And then it was my turn. Uh, I am not a second-generation convert to the faith, and I don't have any American missionaries to thank or blame Uh, for uh, standing here today. Uh, But I had a story to tell, and I told it, and I cried at the end of it. Uh, It was an emotional week for me. As I mentioned at the beginning of the week, I uh, preached at a church I served for 13 years. Uh, And uh, I'm certain that there was a bit of jet lag involved as well, but I cried at the end. And it it occurred to me that I should tell you this story also because it concerns you. Usually, when uh, people preach a sermon, what they do is they explain a text, and they apply it to our lives, and that's what I do most often, and I tend to 
get back to that next week. What I want to do today is to say something about how the biblical text explains me and how it has shaped and changed and transformed me. Uh, this story is very personal, uh, which is uh, the reason I cried at the end, but uh, it's more than that. I think there are important biblical truths here. The assignment that I and the other speakers were given was to talk uh, about uh, our own experience as an example of cruciform hope. In other words, how our lives are examples of the Jesus way, which of course is the way of the cross. For nearly 35 years, and it astonishes me more than you know to say that number, but for more than 35 years I have served congregations in the U.S., which were homogeneous and monocultural, uh, by which I mean they were white. Uh, overwhelmingly, obviously white to anyone who walked in the doors. And frankly, I didn't fully appreciate th this at the time, uh, but it is relatively easy to lead a congregation where everyone looks alike, uh, where everyone thinks alike, more or less, and where everyone votes alike. I don't know if that's true or not, but I assume that it, that it was true. Uh, there were no surprises in the churches I served uh, over the years. I knew what to expect from them, and usually they knew what to expect from me. So how would I describe uh, life in a homogeneous and uh, monocultural congregation? Well, uh, the word sameness comes to mind. Predictability. And, of course, lots of white people. Three and a half years ago, uh, I was apparently tired of an easy life. And so I accepted your call to become pastor of this church. No more sameness, uh, no more predictability, at least not for me. Uh, I don't know if you're aware of this or not. Newcomers won't be. More than 20 nationalities are represented here every single Sunday morning. In fact, three Sundays ago, this was on uh, Pentecost, I was able to find, without trying uh, very hard at all, I was able to find 18 people with 18 different mother tongues to say, come Holy Spirit, both at the beginning and at the end of worship. And I apologize that I omitted or forgot to ask uh, someone to represent the, the most common language spoken here, which happens to be Swiss German. Thanks to Jörg Kessler for stepping up at the last moment and providing a come Holy Spirit in Swiss German. So what do we have here at IPC but one of the most racially, uh, ethnically, and culturally diverse congregations on the planet? When I served my previous congregations back in the U.S., I, I think I was reasonably effective in my leadership. Most days I knew what I was doing. But all of that confidence, self-assurance, evaporated in an instant when I arrived here three and a half years ago. I realized at that instant that much of what I knew and had uh, taken for granted no longer applied here. And so, uh, in the time that remains, I want to offer three words. Three words that are very easy to remember that describe what happened to me as a result of this time with you. And these are uh, three examples of the cruciform hope that was the theme of our worship conference last week. And the first word is humility. Just so you know, I was not searching for more humility in my life. But humility found me. 
One day, three and a half years ago, I realized that I didn't know half as much as I thought I knew. Strategies and tactics and other things that worked well or served me well in other situations were not always effective here. Uh, I don't want to over-dramatize this, but uh, I don't want to understate either how difficult this was. This experience was painful and hard and discouraging. But as anyone knows who has ever felt God's grace and, and God's mercy will tell you, humility is the starting point of the Christian journey. God meets us in our brokenness and says, give up, good. For reasons I don't fully understand, God waits for just that moment to enter our lives and take control. It's not exactly like the first step of a 12-step program, but it's similar. Only after we have exhausted, uh, only after we have exhausted ourselves in useless attempts at living, can God step in and take control of our lives. As I said, I wasn't looking for humility at the age of 59, but that's what I found. I should mention that trying to learn German at my age uh, has had pretty much the same effect, but that's a different story for another time. The second word I want to use in this connection is listening. No one suggested to me uh, three and a half years ago that I should begin to listen. No one said, hey Doug, why don't you start listening to us? Uh, maybe it was my pastoral instinct, uh, whatever it was, I began to listen as I have never listened before, trying to understand and trying to make sense of what I had found here among you. The thing is, I thought I was pretty good at listening before I arrived here. I've had training in listening. I've taken the courses. I was proud of my listening abilities. And do you know something? God loves to hear people say how proud they are of something. I'm sure God smiled a little, or whatever God does in response to those things we say, when I told myself what a good listener I was. Well, being a good listener is hard work. And listening in a, mon in a multicultural context such as this one is even harder. At council meetings early on, uh, I regularly found myself frustrated and irritated and I, I would look at the agenda before a meeting and I, I would think, well, that should take about an hour. <laughs> and then the meetings would go three hours or, or, or more. And, and my training tells me to move meetings along, to ask someone to make a motion and to have a vote, and then to get on to the next item on the agenda. I think that brisk meetings and efficiency are important qualities in a good meeting, but that's not what I have found here, and it was excruciating. And then after a few months, I began to realize something. This is the humility kicking in again. Uh, as I looked around the table at these council meetings, it was apparent to me that we were listening to each other. Elders were trying their best to understand across cultural lines. Right? This kind of listening was messy and time-consuming, but once again, it is the Jesus way. You know, when Jesus was walking along, I think it's clear from the Gospel account that he was an active listener. He took people seriously. 
He saw beyond the, the most obvious uh, presenting facts. He saw beyond the fact that they were uh, lepers and Samaritans and, and tax collectors and, and women. And he saw the people he met as people, as human beings, with unique and interesting stories to tell. The people he met stopped being stereotypes and they stopped being caricatures and instead they were sons and daughters of God and and that's how they felt when he talked to them. Getting to that point though, uh, listening as Jesus listened is not easy. In fact, it's terribly messy. But it's necessary in a church like this. And that leads me to my third word, which is hospitality. I don't know if you knew this or not, but the Greek word for hospitality, and it's used throughout the the New Testament, is xenophilia, which refers to a love of stranger, love of foreigner, love of the other. You know, it's easy or, or relatively easy to love people who look like us and and who share our cultural background, and, and, and who speak the same mother tongue. But hospitality, as the Bible presents it to us, says, no, 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 that's not hospitality. Not really. Hospitality, as the Bible presents it, it, it calls us to love beyond the usual boundaries. The, the Bible calls us to love the unlovely. Those with whom we don't always have much in common. Those who are very different from us. Xenophilia, uh, I I think, is the opposite of xenophobia. The fear of strangers. And Henry Nouwen, a a Dutch Catholic uh, priest, has written that one of the movements of the spiritual life, one of three uh, movements that he identifies is from hostility to hospitality. From xenophobia to xenophilia. And just in case you think this hospitality topic is not all that important or not exactly at the center of the Christian life, uh, I want to point you toward Matthew 25 and and the story there about the last judgment. How does God choose between the sheep and the goats? Do you remember? How do we get to know who's in and who's out? Well, the deciding factor is hospitality. I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a a stranger and you welcomed me. If you're still in doubt about uh, how important this is, uh, I hope you will go back and read those verses. God is very, very serious about this. uh, More so than we sometimes imagine. I think that one way to understand hospitality, and this is beyond the food and beyond the the water, is to think uh, uh, once again about the other person's uh, humanity. Uh, Think of hospitality this way. When we approach another person in humility, to circle back to that first word, we are acknowledging, think about this, we are acknowledging that maybe there is something the other person, this stranger, uh, has to teach us. This is going to be difficult uh, for us uh, because the tendency is to think that uh, I have nothing whatsoever to learn from you. The tendency is to think that uh, I always know what's best. And and the truth is, I could not be more wrong. Uh, Here I am, uh, uh, a seasoned pastor. That's how I was introduced at the uh, conference. I had to laugh. 
season, that's shorthand for old, old pastor. <laughs> lots and lots of experience, closing in on 40 years of experience, as a matter of fact, uh, even a pastor to other pastors at times. <clears throat> and I find that I am still learning. I have spent the last three and a half years of my life learning as I have never learned before about what it means to be the church, about what ministry is, and about what God wants for us here at IPC. I am learning from you, and I thank you. My hope, this is a prayer too, my hope is that you are still learning as well. Will you pray with me? Let us pray. Gracious and, and, and merciful God, I thank you that you do not leave us as we are. I thank you that when you come to us, you take hold of us and change us. And even though our growth is, is painful and difficult, I thank you that you challenge us anyway to become new people, transformed people, people who know and live the Jesus way. Where we have become complacent, where we think we know all the answers, disturb us, surprise us, challenge us. Help us to become more than we are often content to be. We pray this in Christ's name.